But I invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, 1 John uh, chapter 2. I want to read one verse of scripture out of this chapter. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. Little children, John the Beloved is writing to the Lord's family, and he addresses the Lord's children as little children. It is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. I read to you 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, where John the Beloved has revealed to us that it is the last time. And then he said, you have heard, that means that they'd been under preaching where the subject of the Antichrist had come up. And even now, he said, are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it's the last time. There are many Antichrists. Now, if I understand the word of God correctly, Antichrist is not a single man or a single individual who will suddenly appear upon the earth in the last day. But Antichrist is a system of religion which is opposed to the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace in Jesus Christ. It had already begun, as John has revealed, in his day. The Lord Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24 that the false religion of Antichrist would be such a cunning and crafty deception that were it possible that it would deceive the very elect. And the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verses 3 through 12 that as the very end draws near that God's going to take away his restraining hand allowing the religion of Antichrist to spread throughout the world with signs and lying wonders because, as Paul states it, they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, he said, God shall send them strong delusion that they should all be damned that believe the lie of false religion of Antichrist religion. Without the least hesitancy this morning or fear of error, I warn you that the religion of modern fundamentalism, free willism, easy believism, and decisionism is the religion of Antichrist. Now let me let me state that again. I say to you this morning, I'm not fear, I have no fear of being successfully contradicted when I make this statement. And that is that the religion of modern fundamentalism, free willism, easy believism, and decisionism is the religion of Antichrist. I'm not trying to stir up strife and division, but to be honest with your soul, it is my responsibility to tell you the truth and to warn you of the deceptive delusion of Antichrist religion. And for uh, the honor of God and for the truth of God and love to your souls, it constrains me to speak plainly 
concerning this subject. Any doctrine, and listen to me carefully, any doctrine that lowers the character of God, his total sovereignty, his absolute righteousness, or his strict justice is antichrist. Any doctrine that exalts human flesh is antichrist. Any doctrine that diminishes or adds to the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness, his satisfaction, his intercession, or his efficacy is antichrist. And any doctrine that attributes salvation in any measure to the will of man or to the works of man is antichrist. And whoever preaches these things are antichrist. And all who believe these things are antichrist. And furthermore, all who support these things are antichrist. Now you listen to me this morning and listen carefully and hopefully God will be pleased to clear up some things in our hearts, in our minds about the Antichrist, the false religion that is spreading over the world. And in the last time, John said in his day that even now are there many Antichrists and whereby he said we know that it's the last time. We know that it's the last time. And this religion, this Antichrist religion, is spreading the world like you would not believe. The fastest growing religions in the world, let me tell you, are Antichrist religions. And I want you to understand that. And I want you to listen to me carefully. The carnal mind, the mind of man, which is enmity against God by nature, maps out a plan of salvation that gives the sinner something to do. That gives the sinner something to do. It, it, it tells the sinner there's something that you can do to influence God. There is something that you can do that will get you into heaven. Well, this is Antichrist religion. The very reason why some people have missed the truth as to God's salvation and how God saves sinners is just this. Like the Jews of old, you're trying to establish and obtain God's salvation by works rather than by faith in a substitute. You stumble over the stumbling stone. You're, in your own opinion, too good to be saved by free grace alone, through the merits of Christ alone. The sinner's substitute alone. You're too good for that. You've got something to contribute yourself. You have got something that you feel that you can do that God is going to look at and have favor on you because of that thing. Now, Isaiah said that Israel followed after the law of righteousness and he said they've not attained to the law of righteousness because they sought it not by faith. Romans 9 verses 31 through 33 but they sought it by works the works of the law for they stumbled at that stumbling stone the stumbling stone is Christ the stumbling stone is the Lord Jesus who is the substitute of the Lord's children as it is written he went on to say behold I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense it's offensive to the carnal mind to be told that you cannot work your way to heaven. It's offensive to the carnal mind to tell them that they've got nothing that God is interested in. 
that there isn't anything that they can do that is going to bribe God to have mercy on them. That all the salvation of our Lord is to be had through this rock of offense, this stumbling stone, the Lord Jesus Christ. And people stumble over Christ, trying, making an effort, working, laboring, endeavoring. And you can get people to do about anything. Somebody said one time you could get a man to push a, a, a peanut with his nose clear up to the, uh, to the, uh, to the city limits. Uh, it, 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 all you had to do was tell him it would get him it would get him favor with God. You can get people to do about anything if they're convinced that God's going to take notice to it and have mercy on them on account of it. Well, there are others who believe in what some call the plan of salvation. Step one and step two and step three. The preacher makes them a proposition. And he propositions them like this. Do you believe that you're a sinner? Did you ever do anything wrong? And they'll say, well, yes, I guess everybody's done something wrong now and then in their lives. Secondly, do you believe that Christ died for sinners? Yes, they'll say, I believe that Christ died for sinners. Well, the Bible says so. My mother said so. Somebody else said so. The preacher says so. And so they agree with that proposition. And so then they're told, well, you believed in step one. You agreed with that. Step two, you agreed with that. Step three is now you're saved. Now you're saved. And so they, uh, uh, they have followed what is commonly called the plan of salvation or the Roman road. But salvation, my friend, is not a plan, not a human plan anyway, not a human plan. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and I want to show you God's plan of salvation. Romans chapter 8, and look at verse 29 through 30. This is God's plan. Now, this is not the evangelist's plan or the preacher's plan or the... Uh, or the uh, 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 Christian workers plan but this is God's plan for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren for he whom he did foreknow now beloved this is God doing the foreknowing it says that he the same God that did the foreknowing did the predestinating and then in verse 30 he says moreover whom he did Predestinate, that word predestinate means ordain. It means for God to have pointed out with his finger before the foundation of the world, his elect people, his chosen people. And them, he says, he also called. Those whom God predestinated to be saved, them he also in time called. He called them by the irresistible work of his spirit out of the world. He called them effectually unto himself. And whom he called, them he also gave a standing before him just as if they'd never committed a sin. Them he also justified. God justified those he predestinated and those he called. And whom he justified, them he also in his mind, knowing the end from the beginning, he glorified them. They're glorified in Christ. They have a standing in acceptance in the Lord Jesus Christ and are glorified together with him. Now that's the only thing that I find in the Bible that resembles any kind of a plan. 
And so this is God's plan. But beloved, salvation is not in a plan. Salvation is a person. It is a person. And we've said that over and over many, many times through the years. But there are many people and the Antichrist and the false religions of this world do not believe that salvation is in a person. They believe that salvation is in what the sinner can do for God. And we're here to tell you this morning that the sinner is not going to be able to make a contribution to his salvation. That he's not able to do anything that's going to be accepted of God in the room instead of the substitute's work. Now salvation is a person. It is Christ. Now they have a plan. Many have a wretched tendency to leave Christ out of the equation, to leave Christ and his finished work out of the gospel. But I want you to turn with me to John, the gospel of John chapter 5. And I want to show you what is involved here in this business of leaving Christ out of the gospel. You leave Christ out of the gospel is like leaving flour out of bread. My friend, you, Christ is the gospel. Christ is salvation. It's, it's a person, not a plan. Now look here in John 5. I want to read verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them. The word quickeneth means makes them alive. As the Father raises up and makes alive the dead, even so the Son, that's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, he quickens, he makes alive, what does it say? Whom he will. He makes alive whom he will. Christ, now listen to me, this is a matter of life and death. This is not a matter of a proposition and somebody agreeing with a proposition. This is a matter of life, it's a matter of life and death. You're dead, Christ has life. And you can only get life from him. Notice, if you will, in verse 26 of the same chapter, for as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And the Son is able to quicken whom he will. He can give you life, and that's what you need. Life is in a person. It's in Christ. And when you're joined to him, then you're alive in the Lord. Now then, uh, this is, uh, uh, we must never leave Christ out of the gospel. He is the gospel. Old Simeon of old looked upon the baby Jesus and said, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Thy salvation. The Lord's salvation is Jesus Christ. And without Christ, there's no gospel and there's no salvation either. The plan of a house will provide no shelter. I thought about how that some people, several around have built houses in the last few years. And if you take the plan of a house and lay it out on the table and gather the family around and they look at the plan, the plan in itself provides no shelter. There isn't anybody going to get any good or no shelter from the cold or from the bad weather by just getting involved with a plan. Neither can the plan of salvation provide salvation. Now, beloved, I want you to think with me a bit because this is so very important. My mission in this city has been and still is, is to preach God as he is to sinners as they are, to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ as the only mediator between God and men. Now, in this place, 
I have preached to you this. I want you to listen carefully to what we're saying. We're not going to be very long this morning, but I want you to listen to what we have to say. We have preached a God you cannot satisfy. Joshua told the children of Israel, he said, you cannot serve the Lord. Now this is just the opposite of antichrist religion. I'm here to tell you, you cannot satisfy God yourself. You cannot serve the Lord in your natural state. Until something happens in you, you cannot serve the Lord. Until God is pleased to regenerate your soul. Until God is pleased to visit you with his salvation. Until God is pleased to come to you and to do something in you. You cannot serve the Lord. The Bible says God is holy. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, You cannot serve the Lord because he's holy. And you're a sinner. You were born that way. You come forth out of your mother's womb speaking lies. You're a sinner. And you're not to be trusted. And your heart is evil. And until God does something in you, you cannot serve the Lord. And we've preached that to you. You can't satisfy God. Somebody said, well, I think I, I think I can. Well, you cannot satisfy God. Now listen to me. A law, we preach to you a law you cannot keep. We believe in the holy law of God. Some people accuse us of being antinomians, setting aside the law. But we do no such thing. We believe in the holy law of God. But we are preaching constantly here that the law, the holy law of God is a law that sinners cannot keep. That fallen men and women are not able to keep. They cannot keep the whole law of God. And then we, we preach in obedience that you cannot render. We believe that every man owes it to God to obey God from the very time he's born into this world till the time he leaves it. We believe that obedience is necessary and important and that men ought to obey God. But the obedience that God demands, you cannot render it. Can you be perfect? Can you be perfect? Are you without sin? Have you been without sin all of your life? God demands perfection. And he's not going to receive anything that is not, listen to me, unless you're as perfect as Jesus Christ, God is not going to accept it. You're not able to render an obedience that God is going to take notice of. And then a righteousness that you cannot produce. We preach to you that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Scribes and Pharisees were the religious people. They were the, the religious people of Jesus' day. And they were outwardly religious. They kept the law outwardly. They would not even, even eat, eat an egg that a chicken laid on, on the Sabbath day. They wouldn't take a bath on the Sabbath day. They wouldn't do anything on the They wouldn't even spit in the dust on the Sabbath day because it, it would make a little fur in the dust. And that was uh, uh, tilling the soil or plowing. They were so strict, you see, strict religionists. But Jesus said, he looked at his disciples and he said, Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into heaven. And what he meant by that was that you're going to have to have a perfect 
righteousness, not like these hypocrites here, but you're going to have to have a perfect righteousness before you're going to enter into heaven. And that righteousness can only be had through faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then a love you cannot give. We've told you here over and over that the Bible says that you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. And you people have other loves, don't you? Yes, you do. You have other loves. There are things that you love more than you love God. And the Bible says the two great commandments is love the Lord your God, and the second commandment is to love your neighbors yourself. And there isn't anybody around here that loves their neighbor like they love themselves. You go out and buy you a new pair of shoes, you don't go buy your neighbor a pair of shoes. You go buy you a new automobile, you don't go buy your neighbor a new automobile. You don't love your neighbors yourself. You don't love God with all of your heart either. No, you don't. No, you don't. Like I said, you've got other loves in here. There are other things that you've got your heart set on. And by nature, all of us have our heart set on something else besides the God of heaven and the God of earth. But we preach a love that you cannot give. A God you cannot satisfy. An obedience you can't render. A righteousness you cannot produce. And a love you cannot give. And we preach a sin that you cannot get rid of. You were born in sin. Uh, the original sin. Adam's sin. All of us were partakers of it. Through our parents. We were born sinners. And you cannot get rid of your own sin. You can't do it. That sin is in you. It's a part of you. It's your name. Sinner. That's what you are. That's what we are by nature. We're sinners. And we cannot get rid of our sin. We can't do it. So what are we going to do? We're going into the judgment. That's what we're going to do. Unless we find, unless there's a way. Unless we find the way. God's way of getting rid of our sin. And then also we preach a judgment you cannot endure. A judgment you cannot endure. Now the Antichrist religion, false religion, will tell you just do the best you can. If you do the best you can and pay your bills and pay your debts and treat your family right, when you come to the judgment, you're going to fare well. That's Antichrist religion. There ain't a bit of truth to it. When you get before God, if your sin, if you, Jesus said, if you die in your sin, you're going to the judgment and God's going to send you to hell if you die in your sin. Things will not be all right with you at the judgment, my friend, if you die in your sin. It'll not be all right. And don't be deceived by the tell you that God's going to, he's just going, he's just a big merciful grandfather and you can just live and treat him like you want to and when you get to the judgment he's going to say okay, okay and God doesn't have the heart to send people to hell anyway and so he's just going to let them come on in. Not so, not so. The God of the Bible is a God of strict justice, inflexible justice and my friend, you go to hell if you die in your sin. Don't listen to this lie of the Antichrist that tells you that you don't need Jesus to get past the judgment. You can't get past the judgment unless you know Christ and are in Christ. You cannot. A judgment you cannot survive and endure. We preach it to you. You're going to hell unless Christ stands up in your stead and place at the judgment. And then we preach that men and women ought to repent. The Bible commands them to repent. The Bible says in Acts uh, chapter 17 that, that God has commanded all men everywhere to repent 
repent. But we preach a repentance that you cannot work in yourself. A repentance that you cannot manufacture. There isn't anybody, and, and I don't know how to make it any clearer, there isn't anybody here in this building that can give themselves an attitude toward God that they're wrong and God is right. And that what the Bible says is right, what they think is wrong, now you can agree with that in your, uh, just say, well, I agree with that. But really in your heart to agree with it and to take sides with God against yourself and say, God, you'd be right if you damn me forever. I am a sinner. I have broken your law. I am guilty. I cannot produce what you demand of me. I cannot produce it. There ain't anybody here and give themselves an attitude of repentance. You just can't do it. You can't do it. You say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And many people are sorry about their sin and, and uh, sorry that they got put in jail. Sorry that their families are all gone and forsaken them. Sorry about this and sorry about that. But to be sorry before God, to have a sorrow over sin, and to be sorry for what you are, a sinner, one alienated from God, a hater of God, one who would stick a butcher knife in God's back if you could get to him. There are times in your life when you do that. Well, so we preach a repentance that you cannot work in yourself. That's what we do. But now this generation of uh, Antichrist, false religionists, just tell you that you just, you just, uh, honey, you just make up your mind that that you've done a few little things that you shouldn't have done, and you just, you just, you just kind of, you get over it. It'll be all right. No, it won't be all right. It won't be all right. You got to repent of your sin, and only God can give you repentance. And the Lord Jesus, God raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand to give repentance. You got to get it from him. You got to get it from him. An attitude from him. Him working it in your heart to where you can take sides with him and agree with him against yourself. Oh, my friend, that's what real salvation is. Now then, a faith which you cannot produce yourself. We preach to you that God saves through faith. The Bible says that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth on him. He that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We preach that salvation is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But my friend, this faith uh, uh, is not something that you, your own self, can work up. You can't work it up. You can't, you can't give yourself faith. You can't do it. The Bible says faith cometh. It cometh. It comes down from God. Paul said the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is exceeding, abundant with faith and love. And you're lost today for the want of faith and love toward the Lord Jesus Christ. But the grace of God is abundant with faith and love. And Paul said, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. And it's not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot produce it. That's what made old John Bunyan. Finally, you know, he liked it, went out of his mind. He knew that God said you, you were saved by faith, but he couldn't work it up. 
And so one day he was out and he saw this toad frog jumping along on the ground. He looked at that toad frog and he said, I just wished I was that toad frog. That toad frog, he, he doesn't have, he, he's not been commanded to believe. He's not been commanded to repent. And if I, 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 but he said, I've been commanded to do both and I cannot do either. And my friend, until you come to that place where you know that God demands of you that you believe Him, that you trust Him, that you rely on His Son, that you depend upon His Son, that you cast all of the weight of your soul upon His Son until you come to that place. You, my friend, are going to feel just like old John Bunyan that there are things that you, that you must do ere you die and leave this world, but you cannot do it unless God visits you and blesses you. And if anybody believes, he believes because it's given to him to believe, because he's enabled to believe. He has nothing to boast of or brag about. God gives the gift of faith unto his people. But these religionists say all you got to do is get up and walk down the aisle. Just get up and walk down the aisle. That's all you got to do. Shake the preacher's hand and you're in. My friend, you may be in that local church, but you're not in the kingdom of God until God gives you faith. Now then, Paul said, our message is Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. He said, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. False religionists, they got a whole lot to talk about. The Antichrist. But Paul said, I just got one thing. He said in 1 Corinthians 22 and 23, The Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God now beloved sin is what connects us with Christ now the antichrist religion never going to tell you this they're not going to tell you this it's sin that connects us with Christ not our good but our lack of it that connects us to Christ. Our death, His life. Our weakness, His strength. Our poverty, His riches. This is where a soul meets Christ and connects to Him. Now get it. Our connection with the Son of God begins with our sin. The Bible says, For he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you went out here in this community to find people to shore up this church, to get people in this church, some people would say, Go out here and look for the best people you can find. Just go out here and knock on the doors and get acquainted and, and, and ask the neighbors, What do you think of your neighbors on this side? Get the best people you can find and bring them into the church. The Lord Jesus came down from heaven and he said, I come not to look for the best people on earth. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Savior is for sinners, not for the self-righteous. We're also slow in learning this, yet it's the very essence of the gospel. The very essence of the gospel. Oh, we have a good day. We have a good thought goes through our minds and uh, we have maybe a warm and fervent feeling. Maybe we have an earnest prayer that crosses our minds. Maybe there's a tear of sorrow that runs down our face. 
drips off our chin. They're great things. These are in our eyes. Very great things. Because they think, we think, the religionist thinks that these things recommend us to God and score some points with God that he'll pay attention to us. Well, this is ignorance and unbelief is what this is. We've not come yet to trust in the grace and goodness of God. We might, must bribe God to bless us. We're convinced of it. Somewhere or another, we've got to bribe him before he's ever going to bless us. Bribe him. Now what we do, we try to hide the evil in us and we try to display the good to gain God's favor. But it'll never work. It'll never work. Now you, you listen to what I'm saying. What your, your, your life, the way you live your life as an unbeliever is not in any way, shape, or form going to have a thing in the world to do with your salvation. Got to do with it. Now there's laws against doing things that people might do and the law will get you and it'll put you in jail. And the law will bring you into the court. The law will fine you. The law will deal with you. Certain things you do. But what you do in your life as a lost sinner have nothing to do with your salvation. Now you get me straight. But now once you get the Lord's salvation, once God saves you, because salvation is not what you do for God, it's what God does for sinners. It's what God does for you. But once God saves you, your life, is going to be different. It'll be different. But not to get salvation. It's different because God has saved you. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. When a man is in Christ, after God has saved him, his life is changed. But you cannot get God to save you by turning over a new leaf. You say, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be different. I'm going to do different. And men tell their wives that. Wives tell their husbands that. I'm going to do different. I'm going to be different. Just be patient with me. I'm going to be different. That's fine and dandy. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. But it's not going to score no points with God. Until God saves you. And then when he saves you, you can serve the Lord. You can walk with God. You can please him. Now listen. It is sin that he came to deal with. Sin. And that must be brought to him, all of it. It is with disease that our Lord deals with. And beloved, we're sick from the crown of our heads to the soles of our feet by nature. We're full, the Bible says, of wounds and bruises and putrefying sores in a state of nature. That's the way God sees us. And it's disease and sin that he came to deal with. They that are whole, the Bible says, need not a physician, but they that are sick. They that are sick. Now, if we do not come to him in our true character, and that's as a sinner, unable to do anything for ourselves, unable to help ourselves, there will be no meeting between him and us till we meet him the judgment we must come in our true character not able to satisfy God not able to render an obedience that he'll accept 
not able to produce a righteousness which he demands, not able to repent, not able to believe, just come in your true character. Quit deceiving yourself, thinking you're going to be able to do something for yourself. Mr. Spurgeon once said, My hope lives not because I'm not a sinner, but because I am a sinner for whom Christ died. My trust is not that I'm holy, but that I but that being unholy, he is my righteousness. My faith rests not upon what I am or shall be, or feel, or know, but in what Christ is, in what He has done, and what He is now doing for me. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord. That's exactly the faith of a believer. Again, he said, Oh, if I had a righteousness of my own, which no one could find fault with. Preacher would say, Oh, you're a nice guy. Your mama would say, You're all right. Your daddy would say, Oh, you get a blue ribbon, young man. You're just fine. Spurgeon said, if I had a righteousness that nobody could find fault with, I would voluntarily throw it away to have the righteousness of Christ. But as I have none of my own, I do rejoice the more to have my Lord's, to have his righteousness. Well, the Bible said he did no sin. He, Christ, did no sin. Then to the cross he went bearing our sins in his own body on the tree. When he took our place, the place of the guilty, the bow of God's wrath took aim on Christ. And error after error of vengeance was shot into his heart. And for three hours, Christ drank from the cup of wrath until he consumed it, even the bitter dregs. Isaiah said it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That meant that it satisfied the Father to bruise his own son on the behalf of his people. The broken law demanded sin to be, uh, to be punished by death. And once Jesus died, no judgment remained to be executed upon the people of God, those for whom he died. Elisha Coles said this. I want you to get this statement. He said sin could not die unless Christ died. Christ could not die without being made sin. Nor could he die, but sin must die with him. Now that, my friend, is a tremendous statement. I said earlier that we preach a sin you cannot get rid of. This is where sin was got rid of. Let me give it to you one more time. Because it's very deep, but nevertheless, it's the gospel truth. Listen to it. Sin could not die unless Christ died. Christ could not die without being made sin. And he was made sin for us. That means that he was legally constituted sin on our behalf. Nor could he die, but sin must die with him. That's why I believe that all of the elect will be saved. That's why I believe it. That's why I believe that everybody for whom Christ died will be saved. Is because sin died, the sin of those that Christ represented on Calvary died when he died. Their sin died. I'm, I, I, you say, preacher, that's, that's an awful lot to say to people. That might get them to, to uh, just be a little bit loose and careless. I don't think so. I don't think so. I want you to look briefly with me and we're going to close 
just a little bit here. John 17. Turn to John 17 and there's a verse of scripture here that I want you to see. John 17 and verse 4. Jesus is speaking here and he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. He's praying to the Father. He says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I believe he did, don't you? He said, I have glorified thee on the earth. He said, now listen to the next statement. He said, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, Arminian free will religion, Antichrist religion, do not, they do not believe that Christ finished the work. They're still getting people to add up and to, to come and to bring the ledgers and, and to see, you know, and how much have you done and this and that and something. Still getting people to try to save themselves. But the Bible says that Jesus finished the work which he was gave to do. Jesus said himself, I finished the work. I don't believe he lied. I don't believe he lied. I believe he finished the work. I'm here today to testify to you this is a sinner standing here that believes that Christ finished the work that he was given to do. He finished it. Now then, what was his work? And what did he finish? Daniel 9 and 24 says he came to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. What did he, what did he finish? Well, I'm going to quickly give you this. Number one, all the Old Testament types and pictures were accomplished. Every type and shadow in the Old Testament, Jesus completely fulfilled it. All of the prophecies of him were fulfilled from Genesis 3 and 15 through the end of the Bible. Every prophecy concerning the Messiah, it was all accomplished in the life and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all of the indebtedness of these people was paid in full. Hallelujah. Ever sin debt was canceled and paid in full. All of the sins of his elect were all put away in that, uh, in that uh, proverbial sea, that bottomless sea. They were cast there uh, where they'll never be dredged up and brought up to the surface to appear. And all the law has been completely magnified. Jesus, we don't preach a salvation apart from the law. We preach that Jesus, our substitute, kept the law perfectly, magnified it, honored it. And we don't set it aside. We don't set it aside. Our substitute obeyed it. And we worship him. We believe in him. God said, you believe in my son. You can't do it yourself, but my son did it. My son did it. You trust him. He's the substitute. That's what all of this is about. Substitution. The very heart and marrow of the gospel. Christ in our stead. Now look here. All of his humiliation and suffering were completed. Isn't it wonderful? I, I rejoice to know that Jesus never going to have to be humiliated again for my sin. I rejoice that all of the suffering has been done. Hallelujah. All the suffering has been done. Oh death! Where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? Well, the strength of sin is, is the law. And, and, and we know that, that, uh, that, the, uh, that, that death is brought on by sin. But we know that all of the suffering 
has been taken out of it, out of death. God's people are saved through the Christ having been humiliated, Christ having suffered in their room instead. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, and he that liveth and believeth in me, uh, he'll never die. He'll never die. And God's people will not suffer anymore uh, when, when, they, when, when they go through. They'll not suffer for their sin. Christ has suffered in their place. He was humiliated on their behalf. And there won't be any more of it. There won't be any more of it. Hallelujah. And the Bible says he'll see the travail of his soul. He'll be satisfied. And if I understand the gospel, let me just give this to you quickly and I'm done. If I understand the gospel, it is this. I deserve to be lost forever. The only reason why I should not be damned is that Christ was punished in my place. That's the only reason. The justice of God cannot execute a sentence twice for sin. Therefore, I'm not going to hell. And any sinner that believes in Christ is not going to hell. On the other hand, I know I cannot enter heaven unless I have a perfect righteousness. I'm absolutely certain I shall never have one of my own, for I sin every day. But then Christ had a perfect righteousness, and he said to me, There, poor sinner, take my garment and put it on. You shall stand before God as if you were Christ. And I will stand before God as if I had been a sinner. I will suffer in your place and you're going to be rewarded for works which you did not do but which I did for you. Now, this is the gospel of God's grace. The devil says, you're no saint. You're no saint. You ever told you that? You're no saint. Well, if I'm no saint, then I'm a sinner. And Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And sink or swim, I go to him. Other hope, I, this sinner standing before you today, have none. I have no other hope. Now then, that's the difference as I see it between the gospel, the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the antichrist religion, the traditional religions of this, of this world today. And as we said earlier, we know it's the last time. The Antichrist are everywhere. You hardly meet anybody that's got a single eye toward the gospel of free grace. Hardly meet them. But we thank God for you all and for your willingness to come and hear the gospel today. And I trust that there's one here and the Lord has moved your heart and, and you believe that you don't understand all that you maybe. Uh, have experienced but in your heart the Lord's done something and you know that he has and you just know that that you while you couldn't stand up and tell it all you just know he's done something in you you just know he has and you know you believe on this Christ that the preacher's been talking about today that did and finished his work you believe in that Christ we'd like for you to just tell us about it stand up and tell us in other words, we're not trying to get you to do something to get you saved. But if you are saved, tell it. Tell it. Let's have prayer. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for this privilege we've had to preach the gospel today. 
I pray that we'll be enlightened by this truth. Our souls will magnify the Lord. And I pray that, that, that these ones that have sit under the sound of the gospel over and over, that they will believe on Christ, that they'll be given faith, and the grace of God will mightily come upon them in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen.